Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. What a joy to be able to celebrate with those kids and to pray for them. And I'm excited to see the world changes that they're going to be. Not because of who they are, not because of who their parents are as much as we love their parents but because the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave will dwell within them and lead them in truth and in life. We've been spending a, a couple of weeks, months since we've started the year as a, a church sort of looking at Philippians chapter 3 and that beautiful passage where Paul, right at the end of his life, after he has done all of the church planting and missionary work and written a large part of the New Testament, he writes this curious phrase and he says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus and the power of His resurrection. Be conformed to His suffering that one way or another I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And we spent a few weeks sort of just talking a little bit about knowing Jesus. What does it mean? What does it look like? How do we grow in that? And hopefully we'll continue to speak with that sort of as the undercurrent of everything we do for decades to come. But for this morning, I want us just to turn a a page or two back to the start of that same letter in Philippians chapter 1. And Paul makes some introductory remarks, and then eventually he, we get to verse 27, and he says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. I'm wanting us to think a little bit what it looks like for us as citizens of heaven living on earth. Above all, I want you to live as citizens of heaven. And for those of us who have come to faith in Christ, for those of us here who are this morning are believers, the Bible says that we have become fellow citizens of the household of God. We are citizens of heaven. And Paul writes and he says, I want you to live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And we see right sort of at the core of Paul's understanding of living, at citizens, living as citizens of heaven is a, a form of unity, a form of community, as you will, a form of coming together and saying that even if I'm with you or even if I just hear about you, one thing that I want to hear that I'm looking forward to hear as citizens of heaven living on this earth is that you come together in unity, that you contend together. Not that you fight with each other, but that you fight for each other. That you come together, as he says there, with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God Himself. We know this morning, not going to take time and sort of analyze and dig into every principle there. I just want us to begin to think a little bit about this norm of Christian community here on this earth, the norm of citizens of heaven coming together and living together in that sense. You have been given not only the privilege of trusting in God from verse 29, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. 
we are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. It's Paul himself speaking where he's jailed. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? He says if there's anything normal, and I know I'm sort of reading over chapters here, but I think it's important to remember that when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't put little verse and chapter numbers. He was writing a letter to a group of believers in the city of Philippi, and there were in chapter numbers, these were added later, and sometimes it's good to read across chapters and spread across the verses. He says, is there any consolation? Is there any benefit from following Christ? And for those of us who are believers, I hope that there'd be a resounding yes to that. And he says, if so, verse 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This morning, as we had these babies up front here, the challenge for their parents as it is for all of us as parents and for the grandparents that are here and the great-grandparents that are here. When we, were, when we had kids, when you had kids, I'm sure the challenge was exactly the same. What is the best way to raise our children? For those of us who are believers, that would translate to how best do I raise my children in the ways of God? We're living in a, a multicultural, multifaceted society and community now where there are so many voices shouting in our ears all the time and pushing us in a, in a direction, in a certain direction. And I mean, you watch seven seconds of television and the first advert comes on. Great opportunity to have a conversation with our kids around media and what is the purpose of media. And my children know that the single purpose of adverts is to make us want something that we don't need. So they see adverts even on their YouTube video clips, and they want the toys that they see, but they also understand that that little video they see is designed to make them want something that they don't really need. doesn't mean they can't have it. doesn't mean we're not going to buy it. But if we were just to watch adverts all day, every day, it just tells us what we don't have, what we don't need, all of the voids in our life. And anybody who's studying marketing knows anything about marketing, you know that's kind of the, everything that it's about is how do we sell this and how do we sell something to somebody is we make them show how empty their life is without it. And the reality is, as I learned many years ago, paging through those technology catalogs and new phones and new laptops and all of those things, I realized one day as I was going through that, what the eyes don't see, the heart can't want. So the easy thing for me is just to not page the catalog because then suddenly I don't need a new, my laptop is perfectly fine. My technology is, if it's broken and it's not working, that's one thing. But if I just need a new one because there's a new advert with the new function that I was totally comfortable with out for all of my life up to now, but now the cell phone has it, now suddenly I'm not going to be able to carry on my life without the new function. And that's a little bit of the culture that we live in. In the same way, I think we live in a culture that's driven and focused about driving us to individualism. Driving us to be by ourselves alone and, 
And then what do we do is we create these pseudo-communities that don't involve any human interaction. Pseudo-communities digitally. And we say we've got an online community. And I guess in a sense that is true, except that there's no human interaction there. And then we read these passages from Paul and he says, I want you to be like-minded. I want you to agree. I want you to be coming together. We'll see that in a moment. I want you to be of one mind, one faith. I want you to look out for the interests of others and not just for yourself. And not to be selfish, but to esteem others better than yourself. And as we read the New Testament, particularly the Pauline Scriptures of pretty much all of the New Testament after the Gospels, we begin to realize that community is implied in every one of those letters. And so often we read the New Testament in an individual, as an individual, and we read the yous as individual you, as in me. And yet, just maybe you've missed this, maybe. But you know, the Bible was not written to you originally. (laughs) Yes, God had you very much in mind when he had it written through the human authors. But when the human authors sat down and wrote a letter to the church in Philippi, as we're reading this morning, they weren't thinking that one day, 2019 or what, 2,000 years from now roughly, that Philip in Pretoria is going to read this letter and I'm speaking to him. It's not how they wrote the letters. They wrote to collectives. They wrote to groupings. And as we read these letters, we struck with this truth that if we're serious about following Jesus, about being citizens of heaven here on this earth, and we should conduct ourselves or Behave in such a way that is fitting of the gospel. You know, the more I realize, the more, the more I read that, the more I realize that I don't get to choose what it looks like to follow Jesus. I don't get to choose what a lifestyle that following Jesus looks like. I don't get to say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus and this is the way that I am going to follow Jesus. I don't have that luxury if I'm authentically reading Scripture. What I have to do is I have to step back and say, how do the Scriptures, when Paul writes, what does he say a Christian life look like? And then I have to take that and I have to pray through it, I have to interpret that, wrestle with it and say, okay, how does that look like in 2019 in Pretoria in Philip's life? I can't say following Jesus for me looks like this because this is what I am comfortable with. I have to step back and be willing to be changed and transformed. All right, yeah, we don't get to choose what following Jesus looks like. And following him isn't always comfortable. Do you remember the man, the rich young ruler, who came to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him an uncomfortable answer. Jesus didn't just say, be nice, be warm, just do what you find in your heart to do. Jesus laid down some very high and difficult expectations for that young man. And all of the above, all that we read in, in Philippians 1 and 2 there, all require community. They all speak inherently of community to look out for the interests of others. It speaks about human interaction, having people all around us. It's interesting when Jesus comes, they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And then he answers them interestingly. He says, yes, those are all good commandments in the response. And he says, but a new commandment I want to give to you. Sometimes we miss this, that to love your neighbor as you love yourself wasn't one of the original Ten Commandments. 
And that's why when Jesus comes, he says, there's all of this Old Testament, which is amazing. There's all of the, the law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. And if you were to read them and sum them up, let me give you a new commandment, which perhaps up to now you've missed. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's the new commandment I give you. And the love your neighbor is sort of okay until Jesus puts the, as I have loved you, little addition to it. And then he just escalates it into the realm of the impossible. It is impossible for me not only to love my neighbor, it is impossible for me to love my wife as Christ has loved me. It is impossible for me to love my daughters as Christ has loved me. It's impossible for me to love my neighbor as Christ has loved me, and yet that's what Christ expects. That's the standard that he puts for us. And that's what we should trust the Holy Spirit to lead and empower and and help us grow towards. Community is central to the gospel. Christian community is central to the gospel. And community is not only central to gospel, it is essential for authentic Christian life and growth. So often I I speak to people and I, I challenge them around this because what we want to do is we want to follow Jesus without his people. We want to follow Jesus. We love the word. We love Jesus. But I hate the church. And I've got really bad news for you. If you are following Jesus, you're part of the church. And as you draw near to Jesus and you begin to study the scriptures, you begin to understand something about him, the one thing I can guarantee that he will lead you in is he will lead you towards community, towards people. Watch a little bit something of of the early church here in Acts chapter 2 from verse 46. So continuing, this is the early church daily with one accord in the temple. We don't know how many people are part of this church. We do know that there were about 120 people that remained after Christ ascended to heaven. So he came, he died, he had multitudes of people following him, and 120 were committed to following him after his death and his resurrection. And then he ascended into heaven, and 120 people were gathered in an upper room praying together. Maybe a room a little bit like this, praying together. And for 40 days, roughly, they were praying. Then the Holy Spirit gets poured out. And they walk out from there and suddenly there's boldness upon them and they preach the gospel. And Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people on that day make a decision to follow Jesus. This has been carrying on a little bit. So we know there are at least 3,120. Some may have fallen away by then. We don't know. Some may have been added. But somewhere in that ballpark figure at least is this group. And they're continuing daily. This is the day with one accord in the temple, with unity, with one heart, with one mind. don't know if I should say this now, but next week we're going to have some fun in church. Maybe not the type of fun that we always look forward to, but I'm going to have some fun. We're going to speak, we've got a big election coming up, and we're going to speak a little bit about politics. And as Rico said, you know, church and politics, what could go wrong? We'll figure that out next week, what can go wrong. Publicly, what does it look like for us as Christians to be together in one accord when it comes to election time? When we come from different backgrounds, with different points of view, with different needs, perhaps even with different values. And how do we in one accord come together? And we're going to look around some of those questions next week. But they were in one accord in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house. They continued every day 
And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to that church daily those who were being saved. So we've got the 3,120 that we know of and more being added every day. And what we see here is sort of two regular gatherings that is happening in every one of their lives as part of the community. These were coming together in a big group context in the temple. But we're also coming together in more intimate communities. We're coming together in homes where we sit around a table, where we look at each other in the eyes, where we can ask one another difficult questions, where we can pray together, where we can support one another, where we can encourage one another. And we see that right from the outset of the Christian faith, there was the big group, small group dynamic. There was that we come together in the big group and certain things would have happened there. And then we come together in small group and other things happen there. And right from the outset, there was a commitment to community, to open homes. There was a commitment to say, you are welcome in my home for dinner. That doesn't necessarily mean that the door was always open and you can just walk in whenever you want, however you want. That's not what we're saying here. But there was a heart's attitude that part of being part of a community means that at times I'm deliberate about opening up my space to receive people in to where I am. And part of my community is that I'm deliberate about stepping out of my space into other people's space to see where they are. And in that, we pray together. Community and Christian community is not just any community because there can be a community around the soccer club. There can be a community around the tennis. There can be a community around the guys who fly the model airplanes. There can be a community around the crochet club. There can be communities, gatherings of people that can gather together around all of those elements. The difference in Christian community is that we don't gather around a thing. We don't gather around an event We don't gather around a happening or an activity. We gather around a person. We gather around the presence of Jesus. We know that he says where two or three of us gather together in his name, there he is in our midst and are coming together in Christian community as that at the center. I so loved praying for these kiddies this morning, but yesterday we had the privilege of gathering together with Sarah and her husband and getting around them in the same way, and her baby is still in her womb, and we could pray for the baby, and, you know, we gather together, we do something fun, but Jesus is right at the middle of what we do, of everything that we do. Contemporary culture, we mentioned this earlier, drives us away from community and towards individualism. The New Testament texts very clearly assume community among its readers. They're primarily written in plural form to communities, and very rarely and only in specific cases do they address individuals. As a matter of fact, we read about God added to the church. When Jesus first used the word church, he reused, we don't know what Aramaic word he used, but the word that the hearers of that immediately connected it with is a Greek word, ecclesia, and many of us may have heard that before. It literally just means called out to call people out. So it's a a picture of a gathering, the people coming together, and the hearers would have understood it as a community. It wasn't a new word. We use church in a defined, specific context in sort of modern English. 
And when we use the word church, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word church. What's the first sort of image that springs to mind? Because the image for the early believers, they used a word that was already existing in the Greek vocabulary. We don't know the Aramaic. We don't have the written record of that. We do have the written record of the Greek. And the word they used in the Greek is a word which was a common word at the time. It wasn't a new word. It was a word which simply meant gathering, assembly. So when Jesus says, I will build my assembly, here, and the Lord added to that assembly, the gathering, the coming together, daily, those being saved. Hebrews chapter 10, we see the same principle carrying through from verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. So God has given us incredible promises. I hope and pray that God has given you promises. He's given us as His followers amazing promises. Perhaps the greatest of them is simply the same one that He gave to Abraham. And we are inheritors of that promise. That in us, in the church, in the body of believers, all the families of the earth should be blessed. Isn't that an incredible promise? That because of us as believers, the whole earth is meant to be a better place. But God gives us specific promises personally as well. And if you don't have promises from God, I would encourage you to take some time out and sit down and say, God, what are the promises that you want to hold before me for my life? But let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. And then verse 24, I live this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. I wonder if all the things we are thinking of This week, the week past, all the things we are posting on our social media, the things we are talking about, how many of them are, I'm thinking of ways that I can encourage people towards love and good work. I get so frustrated with some of social media and even not just social media, 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 mass media, which is thinking of ways to make me upset and frustrated with this country. And there's an agenda driving it. There's, you know, we need to sell newspapers, we need to get clicks on our website and we drive certain agendas specifically, and you know, it's so it's clear as daylight for somebody who's totally removed from America. I've got a brother who lives there. He visited me yesterday, but you know, that's my closest connection to the United States. And from time to time, there's a breaking news story, and I've learned just, I guess, by years, a little bit of experience. So I hear there's a breaking news story, and so I've just learned I don't read a website. I don't go to CNN. I go to CNN and USA Today and Fox News. And the crazy thing is you read the three different websites about the same occurrence and it's three totally different stories. And suddenly you realize each one of these are driving an agenda, have a message that they're trying to get their readers to listen to. And it's the same with our newspapers in South Africa. It's just harder for us to discern because we're here in it. If we were to step away a little bit and, you know, you read two or three little different newspaper accounts of the same story, and you realize, whoa, there's the story, and then there's the angle on the story. And sadly, much of the angle on the story in South Africa is not about unity and cohesion and growing together. There might be a little story tucked away somewhere at the website, but the story that we love pushing, the story that we as sort of the the media talking in that context now that loves, it's a story that divides, it's a story that breaks. It's a story that splits up, that spreads hate, not love. 
And I just learned, I just clutch out from that. One day I want to preach a message, eject. Some of us need to find an eject button in our lives and in, just eject from a whole bunch of toxic environments we become part of. We need to, I, just, I needed to a couple of years ago, eject from just media, just newspapers. I need to know what's going on in the world. But, you know, I used to listen to talk radio and I just don't listen to that anymore because the agenda is just so toxic all the time. Just eject. Some of us need to eject from the rat race. Eject from this busyness that life holds us before us. We just need to find an eject button and just push it. Have the canopy blast open and just get out of there. Just be set free from things that this earth swallows up, up into. But I'm getting distracted here. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. The stuff that you're posting on your social media is that stuff that is motivating one another towards love and good works. I hope so. And then verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We should be encouraging one another to meet together often, more and more. So for us as a church, and I know many of us are visiting this morning, it might look different to the community, the church community that you're part of. There are a number of really important gatherings, meetings that we need to be a part of. Well, one is this one we're part of now. We come together for a specific reason. We come together to worship. We come together to make His praises loud. We come together for a little bit of what I'm doing now and different people teaching and sharing. We come together to connect in a certain way. But there's another place we need to connect, and that's in homes, small groups, office spaces, little spaces where I love that saying, circles are better than rows. Where right now we're sitting in rows and one person is standing in front, but we get into a space where we can sit in circles. We get into a space where all of us can share something. You know, the reality is that you can come into a church, even like this, which isn't the world's biggest mega church ever, and you can float in here, and you can be in church, and you can leave, and you can be here next Sunday, and you can leave, and you can be here next Sunday, and still never get connected. Still not be part of community. Still never have a space where you can say what is really in your heart, and what are the challenges that you're going through. Still never have somebody be able to knock on your door and say, hey, listen, I've noticed this about your family, about kind of the way you talk to your wife, about the way you conduct yourself at work, whatever it may be. Can we talk about it? And it's so important that we engage with a place where we're in intimate community, not only with people we agree with all the time, that people, and we look at that in a moment to help us to challenge, challenge us just a little bit. But, you know, when I read Scripture, I encourage you perhaps sometimes to do this as well. Verse 25, as an example, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Why would Paul write, oh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, probably not Paul, but whoever did write it, why would he write it? Because it's important to him. Why would he say don't neglect? Well, he puts it explicitly here because some people do. And I guess perhaps for us today, some of us do. Maybe you're here this morning because you came because a friend invited you because there's something special happening with a kid. That is truly amazing. It's great that you're here. But I want to encourage you. The word Bible says we must encourage one another. So let me do that because I want to encourage you that there is so much in your growth in Christ that will get deeper, that you will be strengthened in your walk in Christ if you become part of a community in which there's a small context and a big context. 
where we're all part about something bigger with His direction, with His purpose that we can pursue together. But at the same time, there's a little bit of intimacy and closeness and cohesion as we can share our lives with one another. And then not to neglect that. Not to do it from time to time, but in a sense to make priority. I was saying earlier, we don't get to decide what it looks like to follow Jesus. I had a discussion a, a couple of weeks with somebody who was going through some stuff in his life, or just in a, in a hard space, and I get where he's at. And we had a conversation. He says, well, he knows God's spoken to him about this, but he's going to do this and this and this. And I had to stop him in mid-sentence and say, that's, that's nice. But don't tell me you're following Jesus if you're making your own plans. Either you're following what Jesus has told you to do, or you're following yourself and creating space for Jesus along the way. We can't do both. We're either following our own ideas and our own plans, or we're following Jesus. That's a hard word, I know, for some of us, but we we have to be honest with ourselves that who is making the decisions, who is following, who are we following, and if we're serious about following Jesus, we don't get to decide what that looks like. We get to apply it, we get to ask God to translate that into our space, but we don't get to decide what it looks like to be a Christian. And so when it comes perhaps to big group, but perhaps more specifically to small group, as we close this morning, you know, I found that probably a couple of others, but there are three main reasons why people neglect, why people don't commit, why people aren't regular in attending a, a small group type of environment. And the one, and I haven't put that on here, but the one could be that the space, the environment, the church community that you're part of perhaps doesn't create that space so much, it's not, not so big on it, and you know, I guess that's okay. That's a conversation that you can have with your church leader and say, I, I really have a desire to be in a space. Can we start some form of small group or omge group, something like that where we can connect together a little bit more? The one reason is some people would say, I, I don't see the value. I don't see the value. I know some people do it and it's great, but I, I don't really see the value so much. I wanted to read 1 John chapter 1 from verse 5 to 7. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. And he's going to explain what this looks like in a moment. We are not practicing the truth. You know, it's possible to lie to ourselves sometimes about our own faith. We're lying to ourselves, he said. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light. So what does it look like when we are living in spiritual light? Because God is in that light. Then we have fellowship with each other. What does that mean? It means we come together in koinonia. We come together in a shared, intimate type of relational connection with other believers. If we're not doing that, Scripture says we're walking in spiritual darkness. And if we do that, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. There is a cleansing that comes from community. We don't have time this morning to get into sort of all of the theological reasoning. Apart from that, it is the norm, as I tried to illustrate. It was the scriptural norm for community. It's so important for our spiritual health. But God says we're lying to ourselves if we think that walking by ourselves and following Him. We cannot follow Him by ourselves. At best, we're going to have a very warped idea of what faith is if we try and do it by ourselves. The second reason we, we hear regularly is, I don't fit. Yeah, I went to a group, or I don't know, people don't understand me, I'm different. We hear that a lot, and 
You know, the two passages I want to share with you just very briefly at that to you. The first one is Ephesians chapter 1. Even before He, Jesus, even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us. Notice the plural coming through. You're going to notice it a lot more as you read Scripture. God loved us, but that includes you, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. Not without fault, just without fault in His eyes because of His blood. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. Don't believe the lie that you don't fit in the body of Christ. You do. Because Jesus, the head of the body, has decided that you fit. You fit. You belong. Some translations say that you are accepted in the beloved. God has already purposed that no matter how different you may feel, you fit in the body of Christ because He created you that way. But there's a second passage that I also want to give you if you feel you don't fit. Proverbs 27 verse 17, some of us may know this well. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens his friend. You're not always meant to fit in that context. You're going to be a little bit different and the person next to you is going to be a little bit different, but that is something of the glory of God that He intended for us to grow together. You know, I've realized in my life, you know, it's the people that I need the most in my life are the people that are the most different to me. I need them. And it's so easy for me to walk away and say, you don't think like me, you don't dream like me, you don't pray like me, you don't talk like me, you don't dress like me. So it's easier just for me to go and click with the people that I'm fit, fit with. Except I'd be missing on the blessing that God would have them impart into my life by making them part of my life. Yes, we don't always fit. Yes, it is awkward. Yes, it is uncomfortable. But can I be honest? That's sort of the point. It's sort of the point that we're uncomfortable just with where we are, with where we're at, and we learn to mean what does it look like to look out for the interests of others. We learn what does it mean to not be selfish, but to esteem others better than ourselves. The only way, there might be different ways. The only way in my life that I've learned to get that a little bit right is to put myself in close spaces with people who are different to me. I've found for me, it's incredibly hard to esteem others better than myself when I see them over there and I'm over here. It's very hard for me to look out for the interests of others when they're over there and I'm over here. It's much easier when I've sat around a table with them, maybe had a meal with them, as we saw the early church do allowed my heart to open up and say, tell me your story. What is it that you experience? What is it that you're going through? Wow, now I, can, now I can develop appreciation for it. Now I can look out for it. Now I can keep it in mind in my decision-making, in my thinking, in my planning, in my talking, in my conduct, which I wasn't able to do until we had this conversation. And so when we come together in these circle spaces, there's something beautiful that happens in our heart, particularly when we don't fit. And then the last one, perhaps the one we hear most often, I don't have time. And here I'm not even going to use Scripture. Sometimes wisdom is found outside of Scripture too. We always have time for the things we do first. 
in Afrikaans, it works, super, it works really nice. It doesn't work so well in, in English. Maar het altijd tijd vir jou prioriteit. You always have time for your priority. And so us saying, I don't have time, what we're actually just saying, it's not important. Because if it was important, we would make time. I can give you a simple example. How important is lunch to you tomorrow? Unless you're fasting. You're going to find a way in the midst of a crazy busy day to have lunch. You'll make it happen. Something as simple and in a sense as carnal as that, I'll make it happen. And what I want to challenge us with, if we're serious about following Jesus, it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. But there is something beautiful and precious when we're willing to say, I'm going to inject from the busyness of life this crazy thing that the world wants to pull me in. I'm going to step out of that. And it's uncomfortable. It's weird. I've got screaming kids. They're going to bed late. All of that. And you know we can work around that. And we do Yaku and the team are working really hard to figure out what is in a sense, the most convenient time for families to have a small group, because I get that. But you know what I also get for my kids? I want to raise my children in a community that's committed to community. I want to raise my children in a way that from where they are now, they always know that putting Jesus and the things of God always comes first, even if it inconveniences us. Yes, there's other stuff that maybe is nicer to do right now, like watching YouTube videos, you know. But that's not what priority for us. That's not what's important. So we make space. We make time. And we fit the other stuff around that. And for me, since I first came to Christ as an 18-year-old, just in the church model we're at, once again, it may be different where you are. Wednesday nights for me have always been booked. There have been very, very rare occasions where on Wednesday nights I did something other than go to a small group. And you know, when I settled in my heart, it's really easy because people would invite me to something on a Wednesday and I'd be able to say no because I already have a commitment. Not a, I'll go to a small group if it's convenient for me. I'm committed to community. I'm committed to being in people in circular spaces. I'm committed to meeting people. That I'm committing to have people speak into my life. And I'm committed to being around people whose life I can speak into. I'm committed to community. And so this morning, I want to challenge us. Encourage us in that. Encourage us to say, how committed are we to the community of God? If you and I were to teleport back into the early church, would we fit in? Would we be able to say, you guys, timelines look a little bit different, but I, I can slot into this because my heart is the same as that. Or would we say, well, this is really hard for me because I come from a community that's all about me and individualistic and by myself and being deliberate about getting into other people's spaces is a foreign concept to me. And so I want to invite us to pray into that, to say, Jesus, what does it look like for me today as a 2019 follower of Jesus? Stepping deliberately into community. Doing what Paul wrote at the beginning of Philippians. Looking out for each other. Keeping others' interests above my own interests. Where is it that I create space to have people speak into my life? Look out for my interests and me look out for their interests. One last passage as we, we close. I want to ask us to stand this morning. I'd like to pray for us. First Timothy 2 verse 22 from the New King James Version. It says, flee youthful lusts. 
which is also important, but not for this morning topic. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Who are the people that you are pursuing faith, love, peace, and righteousness with? The people of pure hearts. Not people who are perfect, but who have hearts that are pure. Who are those people in your life that you are pursuing purpose with? That you are pursuing love, faith, peace, and righteousness alongside? The people that you're deliberate about saying regularly, as regularly as I can, I want to get into their space and I want them to get into my space so we can encourage one another towards love and good works. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning, as always, you are so fantastically good, Lord. We want to exalt you. We want to lift you high. We want to proclaim your goodness over our lives. And we want to thank you, Jesus, just for the breath in our lungs that you have given us life. Lord, that a number of years ago, each one of us, Lord, we were the little babies that are here this morning, starting out in life. Your hand has brought us to where we are now. We want to continue to follow you, Jesus, and we pray that you would show us what that looks like, Jesus. God, I pray for those specifically here who really struggle with the concept of community. I pray for grace that you would draw them into the glory of Christian community, Jesus. God, I pray for those who have been swallowed up in, by all of the good intention in their heart into the busyness of life, Lord God, the, the work and the working more and the working harder and just being swallowed up by all of the stuff we need to do here in this earth. I pray for a grace that you would lead them to find the eject button. Not to disconnect from everything, but to disconnect from everything that keeps them from following you, Jesus. I pray for grace for them to be able to step out and to step aside and where necessary to slow down or even to stop in other areas, perhaps to step in and to press in, Jesus. That you would show us, each one of us individually, exactly what that looks like in our lives. And God, I pray for us as a church family, Lord. I know we've got some great visitors here this morning, but for us as a church, Jesus, I pray that you would continue to lead us in healthy, authentic community, Lord God. That we'd be able to reach our arms across, particularly to those who are different, to take hands, to pray together, to share together, to grow together. Jesus, thank you that above all, we have your spirit leading and guiding us in that way. God, I pray for those here this morning who realize in our hearts we're not following you in the way we should. Maybe not even just our actions, Lord. Even perhaps some people here, Lord, whose hearts have drifted far from you. Who know that, Jesus, we're not putting you first. But the cross of Jesus isn't central to all we do. Maybe perhaps even people this morning, God, who don't have a thriving, living relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning for grace in their heart to take that step to pursue you even more, Lord Jesus. May they come to know you more all the days of their life. I pray that like the Apostle Paul, Lord, in Philippians 3, they too would write that I want to know Jesus. I want to know 
would you continue to write that on all of our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, thank you so much for your time this morning. Megan and her team are going to continue to lead us in song. If you just want to spend time in here and just allow God to continue to speak to you, you're welcome to do that. Perhaps you want to wait on Him for some promises. If you're here this morning and you want somebody to pray for you, I want to ask, please don't leave without having someone pray with you. You're welcome just to step forward as the others are stepping out. We would love to pray with you this morning. That for us probably is more important than anything else, being able to pray with you. So step forward. We'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer about anything, whatever it may be. And then if you do need to go, God bless you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I I think there's some delicious eats outside, which you're welcome to have some. Join us for that. Hang around if you need to. If you're looking for a small group that you'd love to become a part of, there's an information station outside and you can just tell them you'd love to join a small group and they'll take your details and we can connect you with a small group close to you geographically that's as convenient as we can possibly make it for you to attend. So thank you so much for your time, guys. God bless you and may He really shine His light upon you in the week to come. Bless you. for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.